Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, and I'm your host this week, Bill Lack, and I am thrilled to be getting back in the saddle here and to be joined by our longtime friend of Red Leg Nation, Reds broadcaster Chris Welsh. Chris, welcome back, and thanks for joining us again. It's been way too long. Well, you're right about that, Bill. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So, so let's do a little review. Let's let, let's kind of concentrate on the first half of the season here, uh, since we're at the All Star break. Before the season started, Chris, how how did you think this team had fare this year? How how did you think they'd do? I thought the best case scenario they would be close to five hundred. Uh, worst case scenario they would be you know lagging behind along with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, I didn't expect them to have the kind of start that they did. That surprised everybody around the team, I think. Uh, but at the same time, I thought there were some pretty good pieces there that if everybody was healthy, then you know they could turn in a performance that would get them close to 500. The the the, the, the start, which I agree with you, but no, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Do you think it was all just the injuries to like Shebler and then Suarez and? You know Hernandez and Lorenzen and and Disclafani, or was there more to it than that? You think? I think there was a little bit more to that, Bill. And I'm not one to try to to throw the former manager under the bus or anything, but I just didn't think that there was much, I don't know, pizzazz with this ball club. There, there wasn't a bounce in their step. Uh, It was a team that, you know, what they say about teams, they take on the personality of the manager, and I think that after several years. Uh, Brian Price was always in a situation where he was he was stuck between trying to win games and developing players. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he really wasn't sure how he was going to be evaluated because every year the front office would say, well, we're rebuilding again, and we want Brian to play these players. And Brian would tell us, well, you know, we're supposed to win ball games here too. So <clears throat> if you sign players or have players that are already at the peak of their careers, you know, guys like Joey Votto, then what are you doing to, you know, developing players around him? So Brian, I think, was always caught in somewhat of a conundrum. And uh, that's why this team couldn't get out of, out of neutral, uh, because they were, you know, half, half the attitude was develop, the other half was win. And unless you go into every ball game expecting to win that game, you're not going to do very well. All you're going to do is flounder, and that's what happened. It, it, it sounds like he's, he was either getting a mixed message from the front office or wasn't reading what they were trying to tell him correctly. Is that fair? I think it was a mixed message. Yeah, I, I don't think it had anything to do with what he was reading. Uh, but, but again, I'm not thoroughly convinced that he was the guy to take the team to the next level either. Uh, I thought that yeah, you need a guy that can communicate the players a little bit more straightforward. Uh, in their face a little bit, so to say. Uh, I, uh, that just wasn't his personality, uh, and I think that he is. He's, you know, I like Brian a lot. Uh, smart guy. Uh, you know, was a tremendous pitching coach, and I think that's the one reason why the Reds kept him in the organization. Because at the time that they hired Brian Price, he had some offers to go as a manager elsewhere, and the Reds thought, finally, we have a really brilliant pitching mind in the organization. We don't want to lose that by, you know, letting him go somewhere else, like the Tampa Bay or a couple of other places that he was being interviewed. So they wanted to keep him in the organization, but the problem was that once they gave him the managerial job, he never really 
headed up the pitching part of the organization, and I think that's where it fell behind. How much credit do you give for how well they've played in the last six weeks or, or so to, to Jim Riggleman? Uh, I, I give a lot, actually, to, to Riggleman. I, I think that, that he is, is a guy that uh, came in the right place, right time. Uh, he's learned a lot over the years uh, by some of the mistakes that he's made. Uh, but I also think that the way he manages a game is completely different than what we've seen with Brian Price and even from Dusty Baker. Uh, he just, uh, I think he's one step ahead of uh, a lot of other managers. And uh, just kind of a, a baseball field rat that uh, has been there his whole life and really drives on being a manager. Well, Marty was quoted over the weekend in the Enquirer where he said that they should just give Riggleman the job. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen this time. I think the last time the Reds did that, you know, they were so impressed with Brian Price. Uh, if you go back and read the quotes that were um, issued by Walt Jockety and the ownership uh, and all the front office people about Brian Price uh, when they hired him after letting Dusty Baker go, with one year left, you know, it, it's no wonder why it took so long to get rid of Price. Because... They, they, all they talked about him was in glowing terms that no one came even close. In fact, Riggleman was supposed to be interviewed at that time, and it didn't happen because they were so uh, impressed by Brian Price that they didn't make the search go any further than that. Uh, so I agree with Girardi. I mean, I Girardi uh, that uh, that, brought, that uh, Riggleman ought to get the job, uh, but I'm not sure which way this ownership's going to go on that. No, that wasn't Arardi. That was Marty Brenneman that, that said that over the weekend in the inquiry. Oh, oh, oh I, I thought you said Arardi. It was Marty. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, I, I would agree with Marty on that, too. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll be disappointed if they don't do a, an open, full managerial search. Somebody told me that they haven't done a full search since they hired Bob Boone, and that was in 2000. Well, what would you, what would you like to see in your next manager then? I would see a, a more of an analytic guy. Somebody that bunts less. We've talked about this. Bunting with Billy Hamilton on first base makes absolutely no sense to me. But uh, an analytic guy, probably a younger guy that would that would relate to younger players better. And I don't know that he doesn't. I I, know, I have no frame of reference. Um, you know, somebody that can be with you know, and somebody that doesn't have a bad track record of walking away. I, 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 the thing in Washington really bothers me with Riggleman. Well, yeah, it, 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 well, I can see what you're saying. First of all, the young players and leading with the young players is such a, a multi-layered, uh, complicated issue nowadays that it takes more than just a manager to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I like a good manager that's going to challenge the players more than be their friends. Yep. Uh, we've seen the friendship style here for the last few managers. Quite frankly, it, it, it's nauseating to me. Uh, uh, you know, to tell these guys, because these top prospects have been told since they're 15 years old how great they are. They go to showcases, they're surrounded by scouts and people that want to fawn over them, that offer them scholarships and so on. Then they go to the next showcase and the same thing happens. Uh, they really don't get what winning is all about coming up uh, anymore. Uh, very few of them do anyway. Uh, so I, I'm not really bad on that. The bunny thing... The reason you bought with Billy Hamilton at first base because he has a reluctance to steal second base, if you haven't noticed. And 
but he doesn't have that reluctance to steal third. So the whole idea every time they find Hamilton is to find him to second, let him steal third, and then he's on uh, third base, you know, for uh, Votto or Swan or Tinet, whoever happens to come to the plate. I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's the theory behind that. I mean, it seems and, that seems to me. Finally, about, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And, and, and finally, about Riddle and Walker, you know, Jim and I have talked about that probably ten times detail as exactly what happened at the time, the timetable on that, uh, what the pressures were, and uh, there were some things going on uh, in that team uh, by some veteran players on that Washington national team where you and by some of the press in Washington who were, who were sniping at, at Griggleman relentlessly, uh, that it was it was a very, very uncomfortable situation because he was not getting any of the support of the front office that a manager would expect to get uh, in a lot of different things that were going on. So usually, you know, when these things happen like that, uh, you know, there's a lot that doesn't meet the eye uh, that you don't know about. Uh, but I think that if he had to do it over again, he wouldn't be walking away because he realizes now, um, you know, he's like Bill Buckner. That's the one thing you remember about him. Yeah, and, and, and if they do a full search and they determine Riggleman's the best guy, I'll have no problem with it, even though, I, honestly, I have trouble believing that a guy that nobody else wanted is going to be the best guy you can find. Uh, but he, you can't argue with what he's done thus far with this ball club. Well, you're, you're right, and I'm also wondering, you know, you have a full search, and who's doing the search, number one, right? And what are they looking for, number two? Number three, this this ownership has had a chance to hire many uh, many managers, and so far, what have they come up with? So, you know, I I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you you can you can retread the same names that are out there now, you know, um, or you can go the way that, that the Phillies and the Red Sox and, and uh, some of those teams have gone with hiring guys, New York Yankees, no managerial experience. Uh, and basically run the team from your sabermetrics department and then let the manager run the clubhouse, as in the case in New York with the Yankees. Uh, and I don't think the Reds are in a position to do that. Uh, I really don't. I don't think they have enough baseball people in their organization still. Uh, and I, and I'm not a believer that you can run a team with analytics because uh, that has not yet uh, shown to be the case. Um. Moving, moving out on. Let's move out onto the field here. I, I, I thought this team went into the season looking to a- answer some questions, you know, about it to, so they could be competitive. Hopefully next year. Do you think that's the case? And if so, what questions do you think they're getting answered? Well, I think they're getting answered. Number one on the Shooter Jeanette question. I believe that there was a consensus among a lot of people following this organization that, you know, at the end of this, at the end of his tenure here. Scooter Jeanette would be a non-tender prospect, and he's completely turned that around. Uh, you know, he was picked up as a backup player. He mm-hmm. took the second base job from Jose Peraza. Peraza moves to shortstop. Jeanette's in there at second base. He's having a better season this year than last season, and now they're talking about you know keeping him around for multi years. Uh, so I think that's one question that they've answered. Uh, I think they're trying to answer the question of the young pitching. Um, you know, which of these guys, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting and very predictable, though, in my mind, anyhow, that, you know, you go back to spring training in 2018 here, and people are complaining that the Reds have too many good arms for a big league rotation. 
And then pretty soon, you're going to be scrounging around looking for your fifth starter here. And because things don't always go the way they seem. Um, so uh, they're going to weed out who can pitch and who can't pitch. And I think they're on their way to doing that. And, and, and I think they're also proving uh, that the ball club that they've assembled can score some runs. And I think that they're beginning to show that too. Um, let's talk about the pitching staff so far. First question I want to ask you is, is does, I mean, everybody wants to have a number one. Are any of these young guys a number one? Well, I mean, not, not if you're comparing them to Chris Sale and, and uh, you know, uh, Max Scherzer. They're not number one. No, I mean, but can they develop uh, into a number that. one? But I mean, you know, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a best pitcher in your rotation. I don't really think that the number one. I think the number one thing is kind of a myth, especially okay. nowadays with the bullpens the way they are. I mean, there are teams that are carrying, you know, eight pitchers in their bullpen. The Reds at one time had nine pitchers in their bullpen. Heck, I was on big league teams that had nine pitchers on their entire staff. So um, it's changing, and yeah, I think. Uh, the way teams are looking at it now is that if you know we get five or six out of our pitcher, we'll just go ahead and bring the bullpen in. And I think that's the evolution of the game. Uh, I think the Reds are right there with it. So yeah, everybody wants a number one, but the chances are it's not going to happen. What do you think this staff needs? Well, I think they need some guys that can go out there and put zeros on the board uh, consistently, even when they have their bad days. Uh, that's my mark of a, of a high-rated pitcher. Uh, I don't care how hard he throws. I think the Reds need to get away from the the uh, analysis by velocity. Uh, I, I think it's 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 the most it's the easiest crutch to lean on in baseball, and most teams lean on it. But if you look at the, the players that are getting hitters out nowadays, they're not getting them out with velocity. So I think as soon as you understand the, the velocity of actually getting hitters out you're going to make advancement with your pitching staff. So command is number one. That's one reason why I like uh, uh, Tyler Malley and I like Viscofani uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, command is number one, and that's one reason why some other guys have struggled. Uh, when Castillo can't throw strikes, he's going to really struggle. When Romano can't hit spots in the zone he wants, he's going to really struggle. Uh, when Homer Bailey isn't right on the edges of the plate, He's going to get knocked all over the place. So uh, this is what you, you learn, and I think uh, this is what you have to figure out, what we are looking for in pitchers that they're trying to acquire. And I hope it's just not uh, strong arms. You mentioned Homer, and, and to the outsider, it just looks like the Reds don't have any idea what to do with Homer at this point. They sent him to Louisville, and they said he was going to transition to the bullpen, and he went on the DL for a little while with the knee thing. Then he made one bullpen you know, appearance, and then they said, you know, he's going to come back to start when he comes back up here. I assume to replace Matt Harvey when he's traded. It just seems to me like they don't know what the heck to do with him at this point because they owe him so much money. That's exactly right. Uh, I mean, it's a very simple problem, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if they really consider eating forty million dollars or not. Uh, what does that do it's like the Reds when they don't have that much cash to burn and you're burning it but you know you also have to ask yourself is this addition by subtraction because Homer does not bring a lot to the table when it comes to chemistry in the clubhouse he doesn't bring a lot to the table when it comes to pitching every fifth day and he's already told the Reds period I cannot pitch out of the bullpen and uh, uh, he has evidently convinced them of that and uh, so he's going to be in the rotation so 
Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It, it goes south. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that that want to see Robert Stevenson up here after after how well he's pitching at Louisville, and and to put Homer in the in the rotation instead of Stevenson is confusing to a lot of us. And, and, and you know, it's about money. Well, it is, and I think eventually Robert Stevenson is going to get another chance pitching the major leagues. I mean, you know, the, the, the problem is, you know, what you're saying is how well he's pitching in the minor leagues. I mean. Um, uh, I, is this guy the MVP of the, of the International League right now? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, is he, is, he by, is he the top three in the entire AAA? I don't know about that. I mean, I remember there are a lot of guys that go the entire season in AAA. They win 13 or 14 games there, and they're wondering if they're getting called up or not. Now, somebody goes out and throws three good games in a row, everybody's belly aching why he's not in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, there aren't any Joey Votto's in the, in, the, in the minor leagues that you're facing. Uh, you know, there aren't any Freddie Freeman's. So they, they, these are the kind of guys you have to figure out how to get out. And, and uh, you know, if, if Stevenson makes that step, he deserves it. But at the same time, let's see what you do over a prolonged period of time before we run out and say all of a sudden this guy, you know, the light has come on. The Reds seem like they bring their minor league players along slower than some other franchises. Do, do you think they're a little slow with their elite, with their better players, or do you think they're they handle it pretty well? You know, on par with I think, what most teams do. Hard to generalize with that, Bill, but I I think that there are certain players that can play to the level of competition, and they'll they'll make an adaptation to do so. I think Tyler Malley is a good example of that. He's a very young pitcher brought up to the big leagues probably a year earlier than they wanted. But here he is, and he's showing himself that his command and his stage presence and all the other things that he puts together um, warrant him to be moved up quickly. Uh, I think the Reds are slow in, in a lot of cases. Because, and I'm not, where, I'm not sure where they get this attitude, but I've heard it kind of repeated several times. Once we bring him up to the major leagues, we never want to have to send him down again. And I, I scratch my head and go crazy when I hear that because that's the reason you have the minor leagues. It provides a player a chance to play every day, and it provides a player who's in the big leagues on the verge of being sent down a little motivation. And nothing gets you motivated like being moved out of a big league uh, hotel into a, into a, you know, uh, a Ramada Inn. A, a little bit of different living conditions there? Well, different everything. Uh, you know, you, you, you're basically forgotten when you're down in the minor leagues. And you have to, you know, scratch and claw your way to get back up here again. And I think that's, you know, we brought up Robert Stevens. That's what they want out of Stevenson. Um, you know, to, to a guy that adapts every day, that shows some maturity, uh, that goes about his business in a way that we feel confident. And I think that there are some guys that can adapt at age 19 and 20, and other guys takes them until 25 and 26. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's up to the organization to spot those players that they can rush through the minor leagues and others that they have to keep behind. But I think the Reds have been, um, been very conservative with the way they bring kids up. Just to uh, go out on the, the, the hitters for just a second here, uh, is Peraza the Red shortstop of the future? I mean, he's only 24, and he seems like he's getting better. 
he's getting better and better. I mean, uh, he's better than I thought he would be, to be honest with you. And I would have missed on Peraza after seeing him play. I just didn't think he had any confidence. He just looked like he was timid. Uh, but, again, consider all the factors that are going on with Jose Peraza. One is that he didn't speak the English language very well. He's a very shy kid anyway. Uh, he was intimidated. Even walking around his own clubhouse, he wouldn't really talk to anybody unless it was a couple of the Latino players the Reds had. But by the way, they don't have very many of those. Uh, so it was one of those things, I think, where if he just didn't feel comfortable in the United States, much less on a big league field. So he would get intimidated. He wouldn't, you know, he's working on stuff. He wouldn't, he wouldn't get any success. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's learned the English language. He can communicate with his American or his English speaking teammates much better and his coaches. Uh, he can communicate with the press. Uh, and he's hitting the ball a little bit better. And the repetitions he's getting at shortstop have made him pretty good. So uh, if he's a shortstop of the future, you know, I, I think a lot of people would be, be very happy with that. He's got his walk rate. He's even got his walk rate up a little bit, which is which is a really good sign. I think that's going to because those are the kind of things that are going to come along with confidence. I mean, he, he I remember him going up there and he, he just wouldn't he wouldn't walk, he wouldn't strike out, and he would swing the first pitch just hoping to put the ball in place so he wouldn't end up in a two strike count where he would have a chance of striking out. And you know, we, we dissected his batting approach, uh, you know, ad nauseum uh, a lot. Uh, as broadcasters, uh, but I think now the guy is, is uh, you know, he, he's quick on the inside pitch. He always has been. He's got a little bit of strength. He's got very strong hands and wrists, and uh, he can flip that ball in the right field. So, you know, right now it's all going well, really well for Peraza. I'm happy for him because he is a great kid. He really is a, a very likable young man. That's great. We, we, we talked a little bit about Scooter earlier, and the Reds have a difficult decision to make with him. In your opinion, is he a red after the deadline? Oh, after the deadline, I think he is. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any sentiment at all. Now, that has changed probably 100% from the beginning of the season to right now. Because a lot of people looked at what he did last year, 2017. You know, even if you erase the four home run night and you say, boy, Scooter, you know, he had a good year, but he'll never do it again, right? So, you know, hopefully he has a decent first half and we can flip him for something good. Well, you know, what's happened here is that he's, he's shown himself to be an everyday player, plays really hard every day, has some shortcomings on defense, but he makes them up of what he does on the play, in, at the plate and what he does in the clubhouse. And I think that they want this kind of guy. And I, I've always said, and I, and I think again, I said it again, that, you know, if you can get a left-handed hitting infielder other than your first baseman, I think it gives you an advantage because there's so many right-handed pitchers out there, especially coming out of the bullpen. So you, you think they'll work out an extension with, with Jeanette? I get the feeling that they will. I think I get the feeling that's what they're thinking right now. Now I don't know what he wants. Uh, right. I don't know if it's going to be one of those end-of-the-career extensions or whether it'll be for a couple of years or three years. But, you know, I'm always wary about long-term deals uh, because here you have a situation with, with Scooter who has been arbitration-eligible. So you've got some major incentive every day to get out there and bust it because you know the full three hits you get today is going to look really good in that arbitration case. And uh, some guys, you know, you give a long-term deal to, and they ease off the accelerator a little bit. And it's human nature. I don't know, but uh, I don't know if Scooter Jeanette is that guy or not. 
but I'm always very wary about long-term deals because I've seen it happen over and over again that the best year the guy had is the year before he signed to the deal. Let's let's talk about the trade deadline. I'm going to throw some names at you. You tell me if they'll be Reds on August the first. Matt Hardy. No. Adam Duvall. Uh, I think he will because they're going to have a hard time finding a spot for him. Uh, I think they like to trade Duvall. Uh, I think that he's needed to convince them this year that he's he's a he's a run producer. But he is a run producer despite his batting average, despite the fact he doesn't take a ton of walks. Uh, he he produces a lot of runs. Billy Hamilton. Well, again, the same thing. Uh, I, I I don't know about that. Uh, I know that there was a very strong sentiment for the Reds to trade him over the winter time, and even in the, into the spring. But now that he's playing a little bit better, uh, I don't know where they feel about that. I do know that there are some teams that are very interested in Billy Hamilton, and that would fit perfectly in their ballparks. Uh, and they've had scouts on the Reds for the last four series in a row, different scouts and high-level scouts. So um, uh, I, I know that there's some interest, and it will be interesting to see. The question is, who's going to play center field? And right now, there's nobody knocking on the door in AAA. Uh, there's nobody knocking on the door in AA. So are you going to trade Billy Hamilton for another center fielder? I don't know. I mean, you're going to take a step back defensively no matter what. And uh, uh, what are you really going to get for Billy Hamilton as an offensive player right now? So I'm not so sure that there's an advantage about that. I haven't done a study as to who's out there and who my scouts would like, but I do know the Reds are out looking and the teams are looking at Hamilton. Is he the best defensive center fielder you've seen play for the Reds? Is he Eric Davis quality, Cesar Geronimo quality? I think he's, he's, he's better than either of those guys. Wow. And, and I know that's probably blasphemy, you know, for those guys out there who are thinking Eric Davis, you know, hung the moon and, and the conception and that, and that uh, Drama. The chief, yeah. you know, who's out there who's like, oh, better, better than that. But uh, I think the, the, the speed that he has is, is uh, better than Geronimo, better than Eric Davis. Uh, Davis is a better offensive player. There's no question about that. Yeah. I'm not saying overall. Right. I'm just on my defense. I'll take Billy Hamilton just about over any center fielder that I've ever seen. Yeah, the only thing, the only way I'd rate Davis and, and, and Geronimo higher was with, is their arms. Yeah, there, there, there's no, but he, but Billy's got a good arm, you yeah. know. So, oh yeah, uh, I, it, it, it's uh, where you really get to see Billy play is when you get out of Great American Ballpark and you see him play in a big in a big outfield. That's where you appreciate what Hamilton can do for your pitching staff. And with more and more players trying to lift the ball into the air, you're going to see more fly balls, more need for speed in the outfield. And I think that that's not a trend that's going to go away anytime soon. Okay, going back to our trade day line, Iglesias. Well, I don't know. Uh, that, that, that's, that's really iffy. I, don't, I feel he is what I think about that. The Reds are not one of those organizations that feels that they can just go out and grab another closer uh, who hasn't been a closer before, uh, like a Brandon Morrow type, and say, hey, we've scouted this guy. We think that we can put him in the ninth inning, and he can do exactly what Iglesias can do. Uh, I think that they, uh, that they drool over Iglesias just like a lot of scouts do, uh, and, and he's under control for minimal amount of money for the next few years. So they're saying, if we're going to make a run here next year, 2019, 
And if we're going to keep that window open for 2020, Iglesias can still be with us. It's not going to cost us much. So why, why take something that is, is very certain in your head and turning it into uncertainty uh, unless you can get a starting pitcher in return? And that is where the need is even more, you know, is greater than having a closer. you got to have a start. So um, I would be looking around and see what I could get in return for Iglesias. Um, if I could get a starting pitcher, uh, I'd make that deal. Jared Hughes? Uh, I think he stays. Uh, I think that he's one of these guys that the Reds feel like they, they went out and they scoured the market. Uh, they, they found him as undervalued by everybody else. But the, what the, the test that they have with him uh, showed a lot of value. And I, I don't think that they're, uh, that they're willing to give him up yet because this guy uh, is, he, he, in my opinion, he'll be more difficult to replace than, uh, than Iglesias. Because um, if you commit to somebody who can pitch in that, then you can do that. But, but Jerry Hughes, if you, if you really look, he comes into more pressure-packed situations uh, than does Iglesias. Yeah, because they're, 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 the, yeah, yeah. they're hoping to get the DP out of him. Right. Yeah. And, and, and <clears throat> so anyway, that, that's, that's what I feel about that. Okay. Uh, one, more, one more thing I wanted to ask you about before we get out of here. And that's Nick Senzel. Did the Reds front office learn anything about Senzel this year? Well, you know, they've learned that that, that, that he and there's a long pause here because I think they have learned a few things. Number one, I think they the vertigo issue that they've learned about is going to be very unpredictable going forward. And, and concerning, uh, but what they haven't learned, that, but uh, but in my opinion, what they haven't learned is where he is best suited to play. And I've always been an advocate of doing what you know Joe Madden has done. It's not like Joe Madden invented this, but I mean, baseball players are baseball players. Period. Um, you know, Billy Hamilton came up as a shortstop, and the reason he can't play shortstop is because his, his fast twitch muscles and his brain is so fast that he can't relax to feel the ground ball. He could be a tremendous shortstop physically. But they shoot, they shoot him in the center field because of, of, of that approach. Uh, Reggie Sanders came up as a shortstop. You know, so um, there are a lot of guys that can play shortstop that end up moving to other positions. Eric Davis uh, was, was really shortstop, wasn't he? If the Reds at the end of 2018 can feel like, hey, Senzel can play, you know, third, short, second, outfield. Maybe he can even play center field. Let's play a little bit out there. Joe Madden does this with Ian, uh, Ian Happ. He does it with Zobris. He does it with Chris Bryant. Uh, I don't understand why teams are reluctant to move their baseball players around to different positions because I think one of the things that you don't want to see is a guy get pigeonholed and all of a sudden you can only use him in one spot to, and that's to the detriment of the team. Well, yeah, talking about Senzel, you know, they talked about in spring training that he was going to play some shortstop. And if he played much out there at shortstop, he didn't play much. And then he played one game there in AAA, and they made they were real big saying, oh, this isn't a big deal, it's only a one-day thing. And I agree with you. I think that's been the biggest thing, the biggest failure with Senzel all years. They didn't find out where they can use him next year. Well, yeah, I agree. And... Yeah, he did play shortstop. I saw him play several games down there, and he can play short. Okay, um, he may not be a Gold Glove Award winner, but he he can through repetitions 
and to make every play that he gets to, which is really what I want my shortstop to do. Because positioning now is probably important, more important than range. Uh, because you're, you're bumming up with a bunch of guys on the same side of the infield nowadays anyhow. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, hey, if you trade Billy Hamilton, Senzel may be the center fielder of the future, right? I mean, he, he's fast. Uh, I would say that uh, Senzel is somewhere between Peraza and Shevler as far as the speediest on the ball club. Wow. Um, and good Hamilton, of course, being number one. So, you know, there are a lot of positions. This guy is a is an uber athlete, in my opinion. And my goal would be as an organization is to get him to the major leagues because if this ball club is going to be good again, Nick Senzel is going to be part of it. It's funny you mention that because this, this is an argument that Chad and I have been having on, on some of the podcasts. Is Nick Senzel on the opening day roster next year? Or do they hold him down to get another year of eligibility, another year of contract with him? I, I don't know why you hold him back down. I mean, although he's you know with his injury, um, you know, really it, it, it stunts his growth and his repetitions. I mean, this is what I always go back to repetitions, and I think it's very important even for a player like Senzel. But I think this guy is is a good enough athlete that you've got to get him up to speed at the big league level and. Hopefully he'll be on that roster coming out of spring training. Hopefully he'll be nailing down one of the jobs on the field. Um, so, you know, for, for me, uh, the, the biggest mistake the Reds have made over the last decade, and even before, I go back to what Lou Pinnell told me after the 1990 World Series. I said, if you had one thing to do over again after you won the World Series, what would it be? He goes, I would have churned the roster at least 25%. And this is the one thing the Reds just have simply not done. How many years did we see Frazier, Cozart, Brandon Phillips, Votto, Bruce, Mezzarocco? And they, and they really didn't do much. I mean, do you qualify for a one-game play-in? In my opinion, that's not even a playoff appearance. Uh, so, but you keep the same group every year, same core, year after year. And I think that you have to be bold enough to start making some moves. And, and uh, because of the, the turnover that they've had in the front office, I think that's the one reason why things haven't done, gone that way. And hopefully uh, those front office people that are running the club now have enough confidence in themselves and their scouts to look elsewhere and not overvalue their own players and get some players in here uh, as they turn the roster uh, to make this a, a really a bonafide competitive ball club because uh, they're very close right now. One last thing before we get out of here. How are things going at the Baseball Rules Academy? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. They're, they're going excellent, actually. Uh, Bill, I, I've been working on this stuff now. We talked about it last night for almost seven years. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the baseball site, uh, baseballrulesacademy.com, is, is uh, we've got you know, several hundred videos. We've got several hundred insider reports. We're putting out a rule of the week. We're uh, engaging some new writers and some some illustrators that come up with some fresh ideas. What I've learned about it is that people aren't really excited about paying money to learn the rules of baseball, but they still want to learn. And I think that it's been described to me as a, as a, as a, as a small pool, but very deep. So uh, we're getting about a thousand people a day on our website, looking up rules, reading uh, special case reports and so on. And, and the feedback that I get from professionals in the business, I mean, I get feedback from guys like 
uh, Clint Hurdle and Aaron Boone and uh, other managers around the, the league. I get the feedback from all sorts of broadcasters. Every every time I send out a rule a week, I get a note that says, gee, I didn't know that. And uh, the last thing we all want to do as professionals be hung out dry on something that we ought to know. Uh, so uh, it's been rewarding. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work. Uh, it's been uh, cash draining, uh, but at the same time, I think one of these days we'll find some advertisers or sponsors to, to help us out and, uh, and continue to put a good product out there. It's definitely interesting, and, and you go out there, you can learn so much. I mean, it's amazing to me. The things you think you know, you don't know. Yeah, well, the rules are convoluted and complicated, just kind of like running a ball club. So <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's a necessary part of the game that even more so nowadays than ever before, the players don't know the rules. And I, if I'm an organization, that's one area where I would emphasize a little bit more because at the end of the year, you know, when you miss a playoff spot by two games, and you look back and say, man, what are the things we could have done in a game that would have helped us win this game? And I think knowing the rules sometimes can, can cost you a game or two on the year. In addition, uh, it, it's just nice knowing uh, how, to, how to play the game the right way. Yep. So, so good luck with that, Chris. Good luck. Continued success. And, and that should do it for us today. And once again, we want to thank our friend Chris Welsh for joining us again. And, and, and that's it. Anything you'd like to sign off with, Chris? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm really uh, happy that you continue to do this. Uh, but, uh, the work that you guys do is very important. Uh, you, you've grown, obviously, and uh, I've always enjoyed uh, visiting with you, Bill, and hope we get to do it again real soon. Real soon. Again, thank you, my friend. You got it. Take care. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.